Well, good morning, everyone. As we have uh, already seen and said and sung and prayed this morning, uh, this is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day where we remember and celebrate that God sent his spirit to us, sent his spirit to the church. Uh, and it would, of course, make total sense to preach a sermon from Acts 2 on this morning. Acts 2 is the story of that first Pentecost when the spirit was sent to the church. But we uh, just had an Acts 2 sermon back in January, so instead, this morning, let's read about Jesus last night with his disciples. This is when he told them that he was going to send them a helper, and he told them what the helper would do for them and for the whole world. So let's read from John 16, verses 4 through 15. I'll uh, read that for us, and you can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read. From John 16. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we just heard uh, in the New Testament reading this morning that one of the things that your Spirit does for people like us is changes us to look more like your Son as we behold your glory. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that now, that you'd use this word that we have read together and heard together that we're going to talk about together to change us. Lead us by your spirit to see your son more clearly, his grace to us more clearly, and change us by it. Meet us wherever we are this morning. Meet those of us who are here who feel far from you because we have been running away or you seem distant. Meet those of us here this morning who feel close to you and who are ready to hear from you. Meet those of us who have faith, those of us who don't have faith, those of us who aren't sure. Father, meet us by your Spirit, and we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, uh, a couple days ago, I had a talk with my mother-in-law that got a little off track towards the end. Uh, Maybe not in the way you may be thinking. Uh, I had grilled some salmon, and she was having dinner with us, with the family. And after we finished eating, 
uh, Allison left for work and the girls drifted away from the table to go do whatever they were going to do. So it was just me and Catherine, my mother-in-law, at the table, and we just hung out and we talked. We talked about family, and we talked about parenting, and we talked about church, you know, both her church and our church here. Uh, and at one point in the conversation, one of us made a reference to a plot point on a television show. So you know how that goes. We started eventually talking about television shows, and a few minutes into that, she asked me, if I knew what NCIS meant, you know, all those TV shows. Well, I, <clears throat> I told her I didn't have any idea what it means. Uh, she didn't either, so I did what most modern people do in clearly important situations like this. I pulled out my phone so we could look it up and find out what it meant. So when I got my phone out, this is what she said. She said, wow, we have gone two hours without looking anything up which is a sad thing, I think, to say. I don't know. <laughs> but more to the point, within seconds, I knew that NCIS meant Naval Criminal Investigative Service. It's a real thing, apparently. But while my phone was out, I saw some notifications for some texts. And I asked my mother-in-law if it would be okay if I read them, if she would mind if I read those texts. And she, of course, said, you can read them. And I did, and one of them had some really, really hard, hard news in it. So I read that text, and I put my phone down, and honestly, I tried as hard as I could to get back into that conversation and talk about TV shows. But obviously, I wasn't doing a really good job of it, because after a few minutes, she said to me, are you okay? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not okay. We've all probably experienced something like that in our lives. I'm sure every one of us has had a moment like that where we've heard some kind of really good news or like I did, some really hard news or maybe some shocking news or some strange news and we hear it and we just kind of shut down. We may look present and we may look attentive, um, but our minds and our hearts are a million miles away. Well, church, that is exactly, that is exactly where the disciples are in the story that we just read together. They are present, but they are worlds and worlds away. These are the final hours of Jesus' last night. In fact, the words that we read were probably spoken just a few minutes, really just a handful of minutes before they left that little room that they were in and walked out into the darkness across the Kidron Valley to a garden called Gethsemane, where Judas had arranged to G greet Jesus with a kiss and a band of Roman soldiers. These are among Jesus' very last words to his friends. And because he knows that, he has told them more than once that night that he is going away, that he will not be with them. And now that's all they can think about. I mean, they're present and they're attentive, but they're worlds and worlds away. Jesus is still talking, but the words that he's saying are just washing over them in one ear and out the other. They cannot comprehend him leaving, let alone how he's going to leave, let alone why he would leave 
All they can think about is their impending loss, their teacher, their friend, this one with whom they have spent every day of the last several years of their lives together, this one whose teaching, whose friendship, whose love had literally changed their lives. (laughs) He's going to be gone. They won't be with him anymore. And it sounds like it's going to be bad. They haven't understood everything that Jesus is going to say, but all night he's been saying stuff about estrangement and hatred and violence. So, of course, Jesus sees this. He knows what's happening in that room. He can tell that they're not with him. And so he stops for a moment and he catches their attention. He says, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And I'd like to think that at least some of them snapped to attention when they heard Jesus say that, when, when they heard him really reach out to them, and now they were focused on him, and then Jesus says something that they would have never expected him to say, not in a million years. In verse 7, this is what he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go, I, I won't send the helper to you. But if, but if I go, I'll send the helper to you. <laughs> I mean, think about that, church. This is what they hear. Jesus is telling his friends just moments before the very worst night of their lives that it will actually be better for them if he goes away than it will be for them if he stays And, of course, the reason he gives them is simple. If he goes, he'll send them the helper. That's that's the word, that's the name that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit here. Helper is just one of the ways that we try to translate this incredibly complex and beautiful word that Jesus uses here into our own language. It can also, at times, mean comforter. And supporter, an advocate, an encourager, and counselor can mean teacher. It can mean guide. It can mean all of those things. It's one of those words that always spills outside of its boundaries. It's always hard to contain, which I think is the perfect word to use for the personal presence of God in his own world. (laughs) And so church, here's the truth that you and I really need to hear on this Pentecost Sunday. It's that Jesus is saying that his his absence, meaning the, the presence of the helper, he's saying it will be better, it will be better not just for his disciples, but for me and you too, and for the whole world than it would be if he was physically present with us. It's better if I go away. That seems like an odd thing to say. I mean, it sounds like it can't possibly be true. 
And I don't know about you, but I say something like this. I think something like this to myself all of the time. I often say the opposite of what Jesus said. I think to myself, what, what could have been better than having Jesus around? If only I could have seen him with my own eyes and heard him with my own ears. If only I could have touched him with my own hands. If I could have just even been on the outskirts, just catch a glance of him. It would be so much better for me. It would be so much easier for me to believe. It would be so much easier for, for me to keep believing and to keep following when I feel like giving up. But church, what Jesus is saying cuts across all of that. He's saying that's not necessarily the case. Remember, there were plenty of people who saw Jesus with their own eyes and and heard him with their own ears and touched him with their own hands who thought that he was crazy or dangerous or just irrelevant to their lives. Seeing Jesus is not the same as believing. It's not. And Jesus is saying even more than that. He's saying that his real, tangible, feelable presence in this world won't be confined any longer to one particular group of people in one particular place, like that little room that they were in that night. (laughs) Jesus is saying that the constraints of geography and space and time will no longer mean anything. He will be like the wind in his world. He will come and go whenever he pleases, and he will do whatever he wants. (laughs) In other words... Jesus agrees that nothing could be better than having him around. And so church, now he is around. He is moving in us and among us and around us right now. Right where we are in this very second. He is meeting us exactly where we are, and he is doing what he always does. He is quietly challenging some of us to do something or to think something or to be something different. Others of us, he is calling out to follow him. Others of us here this morning, he is just reminding us that we are his. And that it's okay. He is speaking comfort to the sad ones among us. He is speaking peace to the anxious ones among us. He is speaking rest to the tired ones among us. He is praying for us. He is pleading for us. He's doing all of that and more than I could ever say right now. He is with us now. Can you, can you hear him? Can you feel him? Because he is here. So Jesus begins to fill this out and he tells his friends what the helper will do when he comes. And he begins by telling them the work of the helper in the wider world. Now, when Jesus talks about the world in John's gospel, it's always a little bit complex. I mean, on the one hand, Jesus says, like, like he did to Nicodemus back in John chapter 3, 
he, he says that he loves the world. He tells Nicodemus that he has given his life for the life of the world. But on the other hand, there's always this little note of tragedy. There's this little sting of sadness when Jesus talks about the world too. And John, the writer of the gospel, explains that note of sadness and tragedy back in the first chapter of his gospel. This is how he talks about it. He says, Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. That's the tragedy. That's the sting of sadness about the world, that Jesus would do anything for the world. He has done everything for the world, but in turn, the world largely ignores him. (laughs) Even though he stands with open arms with this gracious and winsome call to repent and be forgiven and be restored and be made new and be given a new way to live in this world, he is met with unbelief. So here Jesus wants his disciples to know that even though the events of the next couple hours are going to make it seem like Jesus' gracious presence in this world, the world that largely wants to ignore him, it may seem like his presence will be gone, but in fact the opposite is true. The events of the next few hours will allow him to continue to be graciously present in this world in ways that he never could have been before. That's what Jesus means when he says the helper will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit convicting the world, one of the things he means is that one of the things that the Spirit continues to do today, that he's doing even now, is to convince the world, to convince us that our own ways of thinking about Jesus and reckoning him Right, Our own ways of trying to get at righteousness and what's right, our own ways of trying to do right judgments, they are often really, really misguided. They don't lead us towards life. They lead us away from life. They don't often lead us to be more genuinely human. They lead us to be less than what we were created for. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world because of sin, because they don't, not, don't believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He is talking about the pinnacle of his work in the world. He's talking about the cross. <laughs> in other words, the evidence that the Holy Spirit uses to convince the world of its culpability to convince the world of its culpability and its response to Jesus is the cross. Is Jesus' death the height of weakness? Is Jesus' death foolishness? Is it a meaningless tragedy? Is it some curious oddity of first century history? Or is it the Lamb of God giving his life for the life of the world? Those are the questions that the Spirit insistently whispers again and again and again. What does Jesus' death mean? How do I answer that question? How do you The Spirit is asking us that. 
And I want to just pause for a minute here and I want to point something out because Jesus uses uh, some really interesting language um, that's easy to just kind of hear and let it wash over us when he says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. That's a really interesting way to put it, um, but it's very consistent with how Jesus always talks about sin, how scripture always talks about sin. And here's what I mean by that. For Jesus, the, the prime sin, the one out of which every other one flows, is not believing. It is not believing. Now, please don't misunderstand me. It's not as if Jesus isn't aware of the moral corruption of sin. It's not as if he doesn't know that when we practice those things, they hold us captive. They do violence to us. They do violence to the world around us. He knows that. But Jesus is saying that for him, the source of the brokenness in the world, the real source of the brokenness in the world, the the real source of the gnawing sense that we have that things are not right with us, the, the real source of the very real and profound sense of dislocation and lostness that we sometimes feel as humans, it goes way, way, way deeper than some moral imperfection. I mean, think about all of the bad news that you've read or heard this week or seen in our city, in our country, in the world. All of that stuff didn't happen because somebody somewhere has a couple little peccadillos they should really try to squash out. You know, the the violence and the injustice that happens in our great city does not happen because somebody had a temporary lapse on Tuesday afternoon. Oppression and abuse, these things don't happen because some somewhere someone committed a little moral misdemeanor. For Jesus, the source of these things is estrangement from God. It is being estranged from God. It's like not leaving all of those things that we run after to try to squeeze some lame parody of life out of. It's like not leaving that and not turning towards the one place where we could actually get real life. That's the problem. They do not believe in me, Jesus says. And that gracious call, the gracious call to believe in the Jesus who gave his life for the life of the world, who gave his life for people like us, is the one the Holy Spirit continues to make even now. It is the question that the Spirit is pressing on all of us right now. Do you believe? Will you believe? Or maybe more important for people like us in places like this, will you abide in believing? Will you continue to believe? Church, the Spirit does this not in opposition to the world. He does it in desperate love for the world. So, of course, it makes sense to ask, how? How and by what means does the Holy Spirit do this work? Well, the short answer is, I don't really have any idea. I don't know. 
All I know is what Jesus told old Nicodemus. He said, it's like the wind. It blows where it wishes and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it is headed. Church, he comes and goes as he pleases, free and unhindered and unfettered. He goes into the darkness and he goes into the light and he goes into the storm. He goes wherever he wants He goes into the most beautiful, joyous moments of our lives. He goes into the most shameful, sad, and painful moments of our lives. He goes into the mundane, ordinary, everyday moments of our lives. He does what he wants, and he does it wherever he wants to do it. And it is fearfully awesome. But you know how the wind is sometimes, right? You may not know where it's coming from and where it's going, but you can see it when it's working in the swaying and the trembling trees. And I think one of the things that means is that one of the places we can expect to see the Spirit doing its work is in people like us in the church. Because we're the objects of the Spirit's work. We are the shaking and swaying and trembling trees. Because when we listen to the helper, we are helped. When we listen to the helper, we begin to love each other in the way that we have been created to love. We begin to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We begin to seek justice and we begin to seek mercy in this broken world. When we are helped by the helper, because we have listened to the helper, we begin to be people who read scripture and think about it and pray about it and order our common life around it. We celebrate the sacraments together. We become people who pray. We are strengthened to become those who follow Christ with fidelity where we work, in our families, (laughs) when we make our art, when we parent, how, how we date. These are evidences of the work of the Spirit moving in us and around us and our lives are the kind of lives that the Spirit is happy to use in this world. We are His handiwork. He is happy to use us. He is happy to let us walk beside Him as He does His work in this beautiful, wide, tragic, broken world. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus says to the disciples in those final moments. He he says to his friends that once he's gone, the Spirit will lead them into all truth. I mean, he's not telling them that they're going to get guided into some mystery or secret knowledge or to some set of facts that they can memorize. It's nothing like that. He says the Spirit will take what is mine and he'll give it to you. In other words, I'll be present with you. And through you, I will be present to this broken world for which I have given my life. Church, these things are the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. Our helper. Let me pray for us. Father, make us into a people who listen, who strain our ears to listen 
to the helper, to the comforter, to the guide, to the advocate that we have. Father, help us to listen and to believe. Help us to hear and believe. (laughs) Father, do this for our good. Help us listen to the Spirit for our good and through us for the good of this broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.